0: So if you are sober curious, if you've been thinking about taking a break from alcohol, this class is going to set you up for success. I promise you it is worth your time. So hit pause on this episode, go to hellosomedaycoaching.com forward slash class and save your seat. Today, we're going to talk about anger management. And I've got the perfect guest for this episode. Michelle Ferris is a licensed psychotherapist, anger management specialist, and course creator. She loves helping codependent people create healthy relationships without sacrificing their big hearts. She's written several eBooks and online courses, including her popular Calming Your Anger Zoom class, and has been featured in online publications and podcasts. In her private practice, she loves helping people develop self-trust and healthy relationships. So Michelle, I am so excited to have you here and to talk about
1: this. Thanks so much for having me, Casey.
0: Yeah, well, I think this is such an important topic, because I know for a lot of women listening to this, it's anger that is a big trigger for them to drink, either being highly mm-hmm. uncomfortable with it, not yeah. having the right communication skills to establish boundaries, stuffing it down and then having it come up when they drink. So I'm really excited to talk about how to understand anger, how to get control of it, how to
1: handle it in a healthy way. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, I think the biggest misconception people have, honestly, is that anger is bad. You know, like that quote in the big book, the anger is the dubious luxury of normal men. It's like, well, yeah, but anger also tells us that something isn't right. Because when we get angry, we typically either feel disrespected or we feel unsafe. Something is happening where somebody has crossed our boundary. So it's really a warning sign for us to take some form of action. And, you know, that's what I really want your listeners to understand is that anger is not a bad thing. It's just a warning sign.
0: Yeah, I think that's really important, too. Because a lot of times I know, when I was a kid, overtly, or quietly, I was sort of conditioned to you have no problems, just solve it, don't talk about it, don't get angry, you know, all those kinds of things. And so that definitely manifested into when anger comes up being like, whatever you need to do, don't express this.
1: Right. Please the other person so that you can avoid the conflict or the potential blow up. Absolutely. And I think women, we get conditioned to do that more so than men. Oh, for sure.
0: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, so as we kind of just dive into this, tell us about how we understand anger. I know you said it's not a bad thing, but you know Mm -hmm. how it presents in women and, and ways Mm -hmm. it sort of happens in unhealthy ways.
1: So some people are not going to necessarily relate to the word anger. Like for me in my early recovery, I would have said, I'm not angry. What are you talking about? I have no problem with anger, but I was stuffing it. So some people relate more to the word stress. So you can use them interchangeably because stress and anger have the same reaction in the body. You still go through that fight, flight, freeze or fawn response, right? But unhealthy anger is typically about blame. You're making me feel better. You're doing this to me. You're making me mad. Versus healthy anger is about, hey, I need to tell you how I feel. I'm uncomfortable. I'm upset. I'm angry. But the focus isn't tag, your are it you're to blame for how I feel. It's let me share with you how I feel. And that's a different deal. But for women, uh, I think anger tends to look like overwhelm, uh, anxiety, stuffing it. Some women, though, that have come to my class absolutely relate to the rage. Because part of what happens with rage is that we don't recognize our stress. And then all of a sudden, we blow up in the moment for something seemingly unimportant. And the people around us might be like, why are you flipping out over that? But they don't see all the stress that's built up that led to that blow up. And that's where, you know, the awareness can come in. And can I ask you a question? I
0: mean, I know that, you know, the I statements and communicating that Mm -hmm. and how that's healthy, but does that sort of perpetuate the idea that like your anger is not legitimate? Because sometimes people do stuff that is mean or callous or intended to hurt, right? And if you're like, oh, yeah, if someone like legitimately is like, I want to hurt you emotionally mm-hmm. or whatever, and you're like,
1: that made
0: me yeah, that's scared. unhealthy
1: anger. <laughs> that's a that's from a piece the other of anger. person from the other absolutely, person. Okay. absolutely. So if somebody is threatening. Uh Our physical safety or our emotional well being by gaslighting us, name calling screaming, all of those behaviors that's when you really need to bow out. You don't mm-hmm. want to stay in that kind of conversation because there's no point. The other person mm-hmm. is probably lost control and they're trying to play the game tag you're it because if they can make it your fault, then they don't have to look at their own
0: behavior, yeah, and so in that case, you're sort of used to retreating because. You know, it does feel unsafe. And then at the same time, you know, I just am always like, well, if you're like, I feel X, Y, Z, I mean, I certainly do that, but it feels like you're definitely appeasing them, tolerating them, coping as best you can so as not Mm. to provoke them further.
1: Yeah, the the I feel is more about when you're upset. Oh what you're what you're talking about is in reaction to somebody else's anger. And that's where Honestly, the biggest tool. If they're abusive, I leave. But if they're not, but they're, it's a little uncomfortable. You could try to validate it and say, mm-hmm. you know, I get that you're really angry that your boss chewed you out. I I can't imagine how hard that must be. That must I can understand why you're so frustrated because part of what we want to do is join with them if it's safe so that they feel heard. And then typically, when somebody feels heard, they start to deescalate and go okay, somebody gets how frustrated I am. Yeah, But I, I totally understand what you're saying.
0: Well, so in terms of healthy anger and dealing with that, or um yeah. what you said, stress, because I think mm-hmm. a lot of pe- stress and overwhelm that you're completely right. That is a much more comfortable term. When that right. presents, how do you recognize it? And how do you deal with yeah. it?
1: So there's four ways you can spot your anger or your you know stress reaction. One is your thinking, right? Usually when I start to get upset or angry, my thoughts are negative. They're not positive. I'm making a lot of negative assumptions and negative thoughts about the situation or the person in front of me. The second is physical signs. Most of us know, you know, you might have your heart racing, muscle tension, clenched jaw, stomach ache, headache. You know, your body is going to be screaming at you, hey, <laughs> something's happening, right? Uh, the next one is emotionally. Sometimes when people start to get upset, they shut off and they get numb and they don't have access to their feelings or they start to feel anxious or sad or scared. Uh, the last one is behaviorally. What do you do when you start to get upset? Like I tend to get up and pace. I don't sit when I'm upset. I have to be moving, but that's a warning sign. Cause if I know I'm standing up and pacing around the room, I'm like, okay, I'm going there. I'm starting to get upset. So knowing how your stress and anger is presenting itself can be really, really helpful in catching it. And honestly, that's what people need to do first.
0: Oh my gosh.
1: Can we talk
0: about perimenopause, menopause, and postmenopause for a minute? I am 48, so if you're going through it, I'm right there with you. I mean, hot flashes and night sweats, racing thoughts, the low moods, the poor sleep, it is not cool. And that's why I was really excited to find a supplement called Hormone Harmony by Happy Mammoth. And use promo code HELLO for 15% off your first order. Yeah. I mean, I know that that a lot of times anger, resentment, blame, like overwhelm, stress. I used to feel that at work mm-hmm. more than certainly at home or in yeah. other relationships. But the challenge there is there's such a power dynamic. You know, if at the organization yeah. and your boss, like my reaction right. was like, how do I, you know, first, if financial safety, how do I make right. this okay? Right. I feel like I can't express it, that kind of thing.
1: Yeah. Well, that's more delicate because you're right. I mean, you're in a more, much more vulnerable position at work. So you have to really assess, you know, is this something I can talk about and have it go well? And sometimes I base that on my relationship with the other person. If I think I have a boss that's open and receptive, and I come at it from a responsible place of concern, then I might do it. But if I have someone who's going to just shut me down and, you know, tell me to shut up, no, I probably wouldn't. But you're right. That's a really tricky situation.
0: Yeah, no, that's super interesting. Well, so you recognize anger in your body, you recognize when it's presenting, because sometimes Mm -hmm. we feel like it's something completely different. And then
1: what? And then you have to do something about it. Now for women, we tend to be so outwardly focused, especially if you're codependent in any way where you're a people pleaser, you're focusing on caring for others, not yourself. You're not going to know these four signs and how your anger shows up because you're going to be so focused on taking care of everybody else that this is actually going to be some work. For you to actually shift that focus back to you and say, okay, wait a minute, you know, how am I reacting right now? Instead of worrying about how my mother is upset or my partner is upset, how am I upset? What what's going on in my own body? So honestly, the shift between, you know, focusing on others and focusing on self has to happen first. Yeah. And so that's
0: hard sometimes, right? Oh, yeah. In order to do that, because you feel like someone else is in more of a crisis. And so, you know, Mm -hmm. you're reacting to it. But, you know, doesn't it feel like you're taking your eye off, off what the primary issue is, if you're focused on yourself?
1: Well, I think that's what recovery is about is bringing the focus back to us and to (laughs) really lead our life from what do we need? How are we going to take care of ourselves and be in the world? Because if we're focused on what other people think and what other people do, I get lost. I get lost in that. And that was honestly one of the biggest shifts in my own recovery is to realize 10 plus years in that I was not focusing on myself. I was obviously to a certain degree because I was recovering, but I was still so consumed by what other people thought. I didn't really pay attention to my own anger and how I was stuffing it and how it was leading to a lot of resentment.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I completely understand that because I personally in my life am highly uncomfortable with anger, like very much so, especially in my marriage and in my sort of home life. And so anytime my husband is upset, you know, I'm upset about it, right? Because I feel that like emotional energy and want to... Make it go away, not necessarily even to make him feel better, but to make him not mm-hmm. express mm-hmm. it to the point where he's like, I feel like I'm not allowed to express it. any frustration or anger around yeah. you.
1: Yeah. Well, can I ask you a question?
0: Yeah. Did you grow up by any chance with someone who raged? No, no one, no raised voices, never. Okay. Literally, I never saw my parents fight. They were always great, mm. but. They were very busy and Mm -hmm. not around a lot. And I was always trying to get their attention and love. And then Mm. I went to boarding school when I was like a month after I turned 14. And so I think that I feel like if there is anger, unhappiness, like I might be left or something (laughs) like that. I think
1: like analyzing myself, I think it's related to that. But see, that is such an important point. What you trace it back from, because that's part of why when we don't want to deal with an emotion, like for me, I did grow up with someone who raged. So I was very clear. I did not want to tolerate it at all. I was Mm -hmm. super afraid of it. So there are reasons connecting back to our history, just like what you said about your parents, not having that example of healthy fighting can cause a lot of fear of, oh, what is it going to look like? Maybe I'm going to be left. Maybe something bad is going to happen to me. Yeah. And that's really yeah. key.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think it's really, it's really interesting. And I think that my relationship, you know, possibly could be healthier, even with like my own internal turmoil. If I, you know, was able to have someone around me be super upset and not think that, you know, that is somehow related to me or that I need to make it better.
1: Yeah. Well, and the goal is we want to be able to have our upset and anger without being out of control. Mm-hmm. And I'm guessing that if you and I both had that growing up, we wouldn't be afraid of it because we would see anger as being somewhat purposeful in terms of healthy expression of emotion, but not scary or intimidating.
0: Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Well, so what's next if you know in terms of your steps of of going through that?
1: Mhm. Well, once you know your warning signs, what I like to do is I have people rate their stress from one to 10. One being super low, everything's good. Uh, two, three is usually where people start to feel some stress, but it's manageable. So what happens is people tend to ignore it and just, eh, it's going to get better on its own. But then- something else happens and now you're a four or five. And this is usually the turning point where we go from, okay, I was a little stressed to now I know I'm annoyed (laughs) and now something's brewing inside of me and I either can ignore it again and it's going to grow. And then I'm going to eventually go to eight, nine, 10 rage in some form, or I'm going to say, You know what? I need to stop. I need to take a break and figure out what to do here. So that's why coupling the, what your early warning signs are with your stress is going to help people start to learn how to manage it. Because, and again, you know, this takes some time, but it's the one thing I love about the anger work is that it's really simple and practical. People Mm -hmm. don't need years and years of therapy to get control of their anger. That's,
0: and I love that. Yeah. I love practical <laughs> solutions. I mean, yeah, I me think too. that's wonderful. So, you know, it sounds like it is actually healthy to express it in, in the right way. Is that true versus yeah. like stuffing it and then feeling that resentment build.
1: Yeah. Because the key is if you can express your anger when you still have some semblance of control, when it's early, right? Uh, then it's probably going to be easier for you to express and say, Hey, I feel really angry when blah, blah, blah happened. Right. Mm-hmm. But stuffing it, you know, I know for me, cause I was a major stuffer is, you know, when women stuff their anger, it's like the rage ball building, right? We just stuff, mm-hmm. stuff, stuff, stuff. And then all of a sudden it leaks out and it leaks out in sarcasm, hurtful comments, the silent treatment. I'm going to be. Mm, you know, kind of grouchy, uh, you know, all of that stuff. And, you know, God bless us. That's the best we can do until we realize, okay, you know what, maybe my anger is a problem, even though I'm not raging.
0: Yeah, yeah. And so I mean, definitely, I can see, you know, the sarcasm coming out the, the comments feeling like a martyr feeling misunderstood. So you know, in that case, what do you do next when you recognize that, even if it's not the raging?
1: Mm-hmm. Well, you probably need to practice some form of self-care or get support because yeah. something's not okay with you. And to stay in that situation and expect the other person to change, which is what we can fall into, that's going to just intensify the frustration versus, you know, hey, wow, I noticed I really am in a bad mood. And Nothing is going right. Maybe I need to exit and remove myself and do something so that I can get support and calm down. When I was drinking,
0: I used alcohol to calm my mind, to relieve anxiety and to sleep well at the end of a busy day. I didn't know that alcohol actually spiked my stress hormone, increased anxiety, and as little as one glass of wine a night reduced my sleep quality by 24%. I was really excited to find Tanasi, a better way to find calm, rest, relief, and to reduce inflammation. to get 25% off your first order with the promo code, hello, and get ready to sleep well. Yeah, I know that like going for really long walks always helped me just like getting my body moving and getting some of that physical, you know, anxiety, the way you feel it in your body out.
1: Oh, yeah, for sure. There was a uh, years ago, there was a study that said that you know, when you get really angry, some people would like box or, you know, hit things. And they actually said that that mimics, uh, violence against people. So they don't recommend doing that, Okay, Uh, but you can take a walk, you can lift weights, you can do really vigorous exercise, but you just don't want to mimic. Cause sometimes what people would do is they would box and they would think of their partner. And they would think, "Oh, I'm so mad at them." Yeah. And the problem is, is that that negative thought process just gets reinforced. So yeah. we really want to break that cycle.
0: Yeah. I mean, I remember. Well, I used to always drink when I would get mm, angry. Yeah. Which, yeah. I mean, I think a lot of women do, right? You are, yes, angry, frustrated, resentful, overwhelmed. You open a bottle of wine. You start drinking. And it does a couple of things. I mean, you get that dopamine happy hit, you check out a little bit. But I know for me, then it wouldn't solve anything. And sometimes that resentment would build over the course of my drinking. Um, You know, and I would like, I never fight with my husband. We talked about that. But when I was drinking, you know, I know we did typically would result on me in me breaking down in tears and mm-hmm. angry tears. Mm-hmm. And then yeah. I would wake up in the morning and not really remember mm-hmm. the fight or the resolution or like lose my train of thought during the fight. So I would be mm-hmm. like, okay, I am angry, but I somehow can't express it, which is hard to
1: hmm Well, yeah. And I think in early recovery, it can be really scary because we're not used to having our feelings. We're used to dulling our feelings with whatever substance we're using. So, you know, for me, I didn't really start to feel my anger until year four or five when all my resentments in my friendships were, were coming out. But I, again, I didn't want to label it as anger. And that's mm-hmm. part of the myth. I want people to kind of get rid of is that anger is a bad thing. It it doesn't yeah. make you a bad thing. And even, you know, in my classes people will say, you know, I don't know why this is so silly. Why I get angry at my partner about, you know, this or that. And I always tell them we always have a valid reason for why we're angry. And if yeah. I sat with you for 10 minutes and heard your story, it would make complete sense to me why you're reacting the way you do. So part of the message I want to send is that, you know, it really is okay to feel whatever you feel because it's tied to something. We just have to find what that is.
0: Yeah. And is it possible? I, when you were, when you were talking about rageful anger, I was like, no, no, I never had that. And now that we're talking, I was like, oh, my sister, I was thinking about my Mm. parents. Yeah yeah and luckily, she does not listen to this podcast at all, but um <laughs> you know when we were when we were younger before we went to boarding school, she used to get very, very angry, and I think it was not mm-hmm. at me, but I was mm-hmm. like the easiest target around because yeah. she's older than me, um to the point where she like slapped me across the face once mm-hmm. she would talk down to me, she would scream mm-hmm. about stuff like what TV show we were watching uh-huh. and stuff like that. Uh-huh. Um, and so, yeah, it was, it was really interesting. Cause I remember it was the first time when I was in college, which is crazy when she would call up me and be like super angry about something. And I would like suddenly look at the phone and hang up on her. And I was like, mm. Oh my God, that was amazing. And then she'd call mm-hmm. back again and, like, ah. and I'd like hang up on her again. <laughs> and then she'd call me the third time and be like, so like we suddenly start being nice like that. Uh-huh. I was like, this is amazing. This thing in my hand.
1: Well, yeah. Cause you set a boundary and you didn't put up with it. Yeah. For the first time when I was like 19. <laughs> yeah. And that's not easy to do. So good for you for being. And what's interesting is even your sister who probably hadn't, hadn't done any work got the message.
0: Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, I think that like she was angry kind of at the world and probably with good reason, but, um, but I was the only person she could express it to
1: not her Mm -hmm. friends, not her boyfriend, not my parents, you know what I mean? Right. But that was a really great boundary that you set now to take that a next step, of course at 19, you probably wouldn't have done this, but you know, at, you know, later the next step might be hey, you know what? This isn't going well for me. I'm uncomfortable. I need to get off the phone. So because we can teach people what we're going to put up with, we're not going to change their anger or their rage, but we can do just what you did and not participate in it.
0: Yeah. And I think I did tell her like, you can't talk to me that way. You know, like that's not
1: okay. Yeah. Um, Good for you. But it was harder to do when I was living with her. Oh, sure. Because when you live with someone who rages, it's really anxiety provoking Mm -hmm. because you don't know when they're going to blow.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's really interesting. So if you do live with someone who's raging, Mm -hmm. you know, possibly not even about you. Right. What do you do then?
1: So the first thing I would recommend is making sure you have enough physical space because this is why fighting in a car always gets out of hand. Because there's nowhere to go and people feel trapped. So when somebody is starting to rage, the first thing I would do is back up and see if you can be far enough away that you feel safe. Now, in a small room, that might mean going into another room. Now, if they follow you, if they're intimidating, if they're abusive, then that's another thing. That's when you may need to get professional help and really consider, okay, if I am afraid in my own home, then you're really going to need some professional help because you don't want to leave that situation on your own without any guidance because it can be dangerous. Mm -hmm. Uh, But the first thing I do is physical space. If they're not threatening and they're just raging, I would say, you know, I'm, I'm scared right now. I'm going to, I'm going to leave you alone. I'll be back later. Or
0: mm-hmm. if you
1: don't feel like you can say that in the moment, text them. You can absolutely text them and say, you know, I'm just going to uh, go to the store. I'll be back in a little bit. I'm going to give you some time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, But safety has to come first when yeah. somebody's raging. And that includes the kids. Maybe you take the kids with you to the store so that they don't, have to stay and watch it. Because it's scary when somebody rages, we don't know what they're going to do.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I can only imagine that's terrifying. Mm
1: -hmm. And
0: most of the people you work with, is it dealing with their own personal rage, not the rage of other people or the Mm -hmm. anger? You know, because obviously, you said it doesn't always present in rage,
1: right? I think The people who work with me and attend my class are typically a mixture of people who have a hard time controlling their emotions and their anger, and they tend to stuff it. So they realize and that's what I think is so cool right now is that people are recognizing that stuffing their anger is a problem, too, because. I didn't think it was a problem. I thought I I deserved a medal. <laughs> I thought, hey, I'm right. not I'm not going to show my anger to anybody. But man, did I pay a price on the inside with stress and anxiety. So mm-hmm. the fact that people are coming saying, yeah, you know what, I I stuff my anger and then it leaks out in really mean comments. That to me is really cool awareness that they understand that that's hurting them. Yeah, yeah, and.
0: I mean, I'm just thinking of online stuff. I mean, you know, some people are so mean, like just angry. And I'm just like, holy shit, what the fuck? You know, it's just, it's just insane. I'm like, how can you possibly be so consumed with anger? And again, sometimes I think it's like my sister, like it's an easy target, right? You don't always realize Mm -hmm. sometimes there's a human being on the other side that you're you're actually being abusive to.
1: Well, and I think the whole email texting communication has really lent itself to people feeling like they can say whatever they want and not have any reaction coming back to them. So they don't realize how hateful they sound. You know, that's why a lot of times when I tell people I work with, you know, don't send any emotional communication via electronic means because the other person is not going to read the tone. They're going to make their own assumptions about it. And it's not going to go well Mm -hmm. because when, when we think about it, right, I can write something to you and I can feel pretty damn free because I'm like writing in a journal. Yeah. (laughs) But if I, I would probably never say what I wrote to you on the phone. Yeah. Yeah. Because I know it would be hurtful. There's some part of me that knows "Mm, that would be a bigger risk. And that's what I want people to realize is if you don't feel comfortable saying it in person or on the phone, then it's probably something you need to figure out how to say in a different way.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And sometimes, you know, obviously people do it online to people they don't know, like there's right. like online angry fights or like customer service reps. Like, you know, I've worked in e-commerce for years at businesses Mm -hmm. and I never worked in customer service, but some of the things that people write in or say to people answering the phone who just don't have the power or didn't cause the problem is just shocking to me.
1: Yeah. And that's where I think validation can be a really good tool when you're around somebody who's angry to just validate the content of what they're saying and their frustration. Uh, but again, you have to be careful in if it's rage, you're probably not going to want to do that. You're probably going to want to remove yourself because, yeah. yeah, I mean, it can get too intense.
0: Yeah. And so if you're the person <laughs> raging online or on the phone to customer service people or whatever, right. in a way, you know, and that it's it's really not about whatever it is, you're just sort of feeling like you need to lash out mm-hmm. or it is, but it's, you know, not appropriate, not, you know what I mean? Like yeah. what do you do in that situation? Cause I know it's so hard when that builds up within you.
1: Well, that's where the rating scale comes in. So okay. when people take my class and they get to that point, they realize, Oh, wait a minute. I'm in negative thought. My heart is racing. I'm probably a six or seven right now, and I'm starting to scream. So all of that information is going to help them remove themselves and practice self-care. But in the moment, it, you're not going to be able to do that if you can't recognize the signs. People can't catch themselves in a rage if they haven't done this work. It's too, mm-hmm. it's the rage takes over and we just, you know, have to keep spouting it until we're done, unfortunately. yeah. yeah. And so when you talk
0: about practicing self-care, can you give us a couple of different examples of like, oh
1: yeah, what that possibly could look like? Mm-hmm. So one of them you said, which I loved, was taking a walk, uh, getting outside, getting your body moving. Uh, I like writing uh, because you can give the uncensored version on the page and not hurt anyone, uh, calling a friend, saying, "Hey, I'm really frustrated. do you have do you have a few minutes?" Um, but I would be careful who you call because sometimes we call people that are going to fuel our anger and we don't mm-hmm. want that. We want to call the person who's going to be reasonable, who's going to be supportive, but not want to fuel that and get us more and more uh, frustrated because they're yeah. joining with us. <laughs> yeah. And that's probably something that's good to
0: do when you're not raging to kind of write down who those people would be. Yeah. you know. Yep. And I know that when I get super frustrated with my husband, I, I call my best friend. And yeah. the reason I do that is she's known both of us since we were 25 years old. So literally oh. 20 years. So I know she knows all the good stuff and all the frustrating stuff. And if mm-hmm. I, if mm-hmm. I vent literally all the things to her, she's not going to think he's a bad human being. You know what I mean? She's right. not going to be like, right. oh, my God, he's the worst. You need to do X, mm. Y, Z.
1: Right, right. Yeah, well, that's that's your lifesaver because you really trust the feedback you're getting so you can go to her in a vulnerable space and not feel like you're going to lose it.
0: Yeah, for sure. And she mm. does it for me, too, because I know her yeah. husband is 80%
1: right. good and
0: 20%. You got to be kidding me, you know? <laughs> right.
1: That's totally true.
0: So call someone, walk, get outside, get in nature, but call someone who isn't going to, you know, feed it more. Because sometimes I've read that like venting is not always helpful.
1: Yeah. You don't want to vent in a way that is destructive. So again, the venting, like if I call you and all I'm doing is blaming my husband, he did Mm -hmm. this, he did this, he did this, he's never going to change, then I'm going to be more upset. When I leave the conversation than when I started it. But if I vent to you and I'm saying, God, I'm really frustrated. Now, yeah, I may start with the other person's behavior and my reaction to it. But as I keep talking, I'm going to talk more about me and what I need to do and what this means. You know, why am I so upset? You know, I had a crappy day and I realized that my kid yelled at me and there's all these other things. So that's where it becomes healthier venting when you when you don't stay in that blame game that's what's yeah. going to be destructive
0: yeah you know what's interesting to me is so i do core energy coaching which is something i'm mm. certified in and and we sort of go through you know these seven levels of energy which is basically your the way you react and interact with the world, like what your default is, everyone has a preference. Mm -hmm. But there is sort of level one, which is which is in stress, which is victim, like feeling powerless, to change your situation, feeling like you don't have more, you know, any options, which is Mm -hmm. like worry, guilt, self pity, disappointment, all those things. Level two is called the fighter. And that's where all the feelings of like, Blame, resentment, um, yeah. anger, irritation, all those things come up. Mm-hmm. And we act, you know, a couple of things about that. One, when you're in level two, we find it's really helpful to say, as opposed to he's to blame. This is bullshit. What the, you know, what the right. fuck? All the things right. like I'm being treated unfairly to say, like, it sounds stupid, but like, wow, I'm feeling a lot of level two energy, which is that mm-hmm. distance. Yeah why am I feeling that way? You know, just, just that separation. But also when someone's in level one, like, you know, feeling like such a victim, feeling self pity, whatever we, it's actually more healthy to move them to level two, Mm. because at least then they're fighting for themselves, at least Mm -hmm. then they're recognizing that this Mm -hmm. is not
1: okay. Do you see that too? Yeah. I think what I see though, is the challenge of leaving the victim story because we can get trapped in it. Yeah, I just did a YouTube video on on this about resentment and, you know, the key with resentment or anger is that we have to be willing to change the story. But it's yes. interesting that you're saying that in that level one, they're easier to shift into a different story. Yeah. Well, if they at least,
0: you know, I mean, obviously, everybody gets something out of wherever yeah. they are. And if you're a right. victim, you feel like a victim. I mean, the the things you get out of that is people yeah. feel sorry for you. You don't right. have to try or change. Therefore, you can't fail. Um and you it's have a good story. Yeah. Like you, you're it's not your fault, right? Because right. you're powerless and a victim and everybody else right. does this to you. Right. When you move into level two, you know, then it's like, okay, this is unfair. This is crap. Still not a healthy place to be, but at mm-hmm. least you have some energy around change.
1: Yeah. I love that. I love how you separate that.
0: Yeah. And then level three is like taking responsibility for your own part of it. Coping, Yeah, you know, doing what you can, setting boundaries, all of those things, which can be mm-hmm. scary sometimes.
1: Oh, yeah. And boundaries are a big part of anger, because so many people in my class have told me that they don't say no. And that's what leads them to stuffing their feelings and getting annoyed and resentful. So there's definitely a connection, I think, between anger and boundaries and anger and self care and the lack of.
0: Yeah. And resentment is almost always an unexpressed boundary that you you should have or could have drawn.
1: Yeah. Oh, I um, like the way you put that an unexpressed boundary. That's really true. Cause you're really saying yes. When you mean no. Yeah. Or you're saying yes. And you
0: wish you had said no, right. Um, but you didn't feel right. Entitled, or you thought people wouldn't like you or would mm-hmm. judge you or whatever it is.
1: Yeah. Yeah. that's yeah. powerful.
0: Yeah. So, you know, I know one of the things we we talked about um, before we jumped on the podcast was I kind of asked you where anger usually presented, you know, and was Mm -hmm. talking about spouses and possibly at work and with Mm -hmm. parents. And you said the most common that you saw were spouses, but also children, which Mm -hmm. can be a big source Mm -hmm. of shame. And You know, we talk all the time how like, yep, your kids can be big triggers to drink. And, and that's just a fact, you know, like it's, it's hard being a mom, but tell me about that. Hi there. If you're listening to this episode and have been trying to take a break from drinking, but keep starting and stopping and starting again, I want to invite you to take a look at my on-demand coaching course. The Sobriety Starter Kit. The Sobriety Starter Kit is an online self-study, sober coaching course that will help you quit drinking and build a life you love without alcohol, without white knuckling it or hating the process. The course includes the exact step-by-step coaching framework I work through with my private coaching clients, but at a much more affordable price than one-on-one coaching. And the Sobriety Starter Kit is ready, waiting, and available to support you anytime you need it. And when it fits into your schedule, you don't need to work your life around group meetings or classes at a specific day or time. This course is not a 30-day challenge or a -a one-day-at-a-time approach. Instead, it's a step-by-step formula for changing your relationship with alcohol. The course will help you turn the decision to stop drinking from your worst case scenario to the best decision of your life. You will sleep better and have more energy. You'll look better and feel better. You'll have more patience and less anxiety. And with my approach, you won't feel deprived or isolated in the process. So if you're interested in learning more about all the details, please go to www.sobrietystarterkit.com. You can start at any time and I would love to see you in the course.
1: Well, I mean, yeah, being a mom is the hardest job ever, especially if you're an at-home mom and you are you have a kid that might be outside of the box or has their own emotions that you can't handle. I mean, sometimes we don't, you know, we don't really talk about yelling at our kids because as moms, we feel really bad about that. And I know, you know, I wasn't a big yeller when my son was little, but there were times when I did and I would have to go back and apologize. And he loved it. (laughs) He loved it. Um, But I had to own it because I didn't want him to, learned that it was okay to yell. Mm -hmm. You know, it's okay to get mad, but it's not okay for me to, you know, to do that. And I think that as parents, we need to have that conversation that, yeah, sometimes parenting will stretch us to the absolute limit. And sometimes that does look like yelling at our kids. And that isn't the goal, but we need to be able to talk about that and find the tools to tame it. Yeah. And a lot of that is, you
0: know, taking breaks and asking for yeah. support. And, you know,
1: I love the quote,
0: yeah. like something about like telling moms all the time that they need wine. And it's like, no, oh, you don't need wine. You need a break. You need yeah. support. You yeah. need self-care. You need physical distance. Like you need a, right. a nap. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, you're exhausted. You're tired. Your you know, nerves are
1: shot. Right. And it's okay to tell your kid, mommy's upset right now. Mommy needs a break. Yeah. I mean, really, because that's going to be such powerful role modeling for them to see, oh, mommy's upset. She's not taking it out on me. She's actually trying to handle it and calm down. That's going to be huge. And that's going to break that cycle of rage or stuffing that we all, well, most of us grow up with either or. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And, you know, I'm always... Um, when I talk to people, you know, once you stop drinking, you really need to, in the early days, reduce as much, uh, overwhelm and stress as possible, Mm -hmm. which, you know, I know it's hard if you've got three kids at home and you're doing like that. And I'm, you know, you actually save a decent amount of money when you're not drinking. I love Mm -hmm. the I'm done drinking app, which literally will calculate how much money you're saving. So for me in my first month, I save, 550 bucks, which is crazy. Wow! And so basically, I'm like, take that money Mm -hmm. and get babysitters. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? Give yourself a couple hour break or like, join a gym that has childcare. So you Mm -hmm. can like double duty or whatever, you know, obviously, yeah, you can also trade with neighbors and ask Mm -hmm. your spouse Mm -hmm. to come home, you know, early for a certain amount of time or whatever it is. But like, you know, drinking is sort of the quick, easy button that is super unhealthy and unhelpful, but in the moment works to numb you out. And when you stop doing that, you actually need more time to decompress
1: and you have to find a way mm-hmm. to get it. Right. Absolutely. And to get enough support so that you're not isolated and need that drink to cope is really important.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Cause you know, a lot of times there are no one to talk to and, you know, it can mm-hmm. feed into, I mean, I know when, when I had my children, it was just, my God, they're screaming at you. And you're like, yeah, I have, and I'm talking when they're babies, which is right. hard too, but it's like, I have given every ounce of myself and all my time for the last like three months. And
1: you're still right. screaming at me, right. you know, in
0: that moment.
1: Well, and that's why we have to kind of be kind to ourselves when we do react in anger, because it's human. But, you know, we also want to take that as a warning sign of, okay, maybe I need some tools, because it's okay to get angry. It's not okay to rage. And it's not okay to be scary. And that's always the goal.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that, you know, you say anger, which I love. Um, For a lot of women, it's just automatic, like, I want to drink. I need wine, you know, because it's such a shorthand, it's just become, Mm -hmm. you know, and I always say, like, once you get through that initial first month, when of course you want to drink, right, you're in Mm -hmm. physical withdrawal, and you're, you're dealing, you know, you don't have that habit of doing something else, like later, when that happens, that's actually sometimes a very helpful sign that, Mm -hmm. you know, the canary in the coal mine, if you want to drink okay, something needs to change, like quickly, Mm -hmm. something is wrong. And so I'm always like, you know, why do you want to drink? Are you tired? Are you overwhelmed? Are you angry? Are you frustrated? Like, how else can you solve for that emotion?
1: Yeah. And I think part of what's so hard in early recovery, when you're trying not to do a bad habit, whether it's drinking or food or whatever substance it is, it is, it's like, you have to be willing to check in with yourself, even if it's just for 10 minutes, like, okay, in those 10 minutes, how are you feeling? What's causing you to want to get out of your body (laughs) and drink? And Mm -hmm. sometimes that's when writing to me is really powerful to just put it on the page and just say, man, I am coming out of my skin. And this is why, because, you know, I, the things I heard in program early on was that if you wait 10 or 15 minutes, a lot of times the craving will go away. Yeah. If you do something productive in those 10 or 15 minutes, if you ruminate, then yeah, that's not going to help. But it's like, sometimes it's that one minute at a time, right? We just have to see what's going on right now. That's making me want to drink or use a substance to numb myself. And that's a really important part of recovery.
0: And so does everybody have different things that trigger their anger? How do you get Mm -hmm to understand in advance sort of what your buttons are?
1: Well, I think the situations are different, but the triggers are similar. So a lot of times tone of voice is a big trigger for people, Uh, feeling disrespected, feeling unsafe, feeling scared. Uh, There's certainly some patterns in that, but how they show up is more about our own unique story. Like for me, Mm -hmm. I dated a guy that was chronically late. And it just bugged me until one day I realized, why am I so like upset? Like this guy is great. He's 15 minutes late to everything, but you know, it's not a horrible thing. And I realized that because I waited so much as a child, because my dad was a captain of a cargo ship and he was gone for a lot of times, I didn't have the tolerance to wait. And I equated in my mind waiting for someone that they didn't care about me. Mm. And when I when I realized what the trigger was, I was like, oh, it has nothing to do with him being late. It has everything to do with how I'm interpreting the situation. And that's where if you can start to dive into what your triggers are and what meaning you're assigning them, that's gold. That's going to really help you understand why you're reacting in the moment and when you're going to need to opt out.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So whether, I mean, I love, you know, what you said about like what meaning you're assigning to it, because I also like hate being late. I feel a lot of anxiety if I'm late. And, um, you know, I hate it when my husband's uh, late for me with friends, it doesn't bother me that much, Uh but he like you know, I literally when we're going somewhere, I pad like six different things. So <laughs> usually we're there 15 minutes early. And in my family, we're I'm always like, if you're not early, you're late. But mm-hmm. so we get there and I'm like, it's super rude if we're late. And we show
1: up and he's like, We're the first people here. Uh-huh, they do uh-huh. not
0: want us here yet. So <laughs> it's just kind of funny.
1: Yeah, it is funny. But knowing your triggers is really helpful because that's when you know you have to practice some form of self-care. Yeah, but I do feel like if someone's late and mm-hmm. it's more myself or
0: yeah. him, maybe uh-huh. work stuff too. It's not really with my friends. I do feel like it's disrespecting mm-hmm. me. Yeah. Well, or that's, I'm the disrespecting yeah. I'm so that's the piece. Disrespecting someone else. I'm that's the their time. Mm-hmm. Or I feel like they're I feel like if I do it, I'm basically stating that I'm more important than them. That kind of stuff. Mm. Well, there's the story. Right. I know. And, you know, for my husband, it's like water off a duck. Like he doesn't, Mm -hmm. none of those messages go through And part. Sometimes I look at him and I was like, God, it must be nice to wander through life feeling that (laughs) way. Like not feeling all that like self-imposed anxiety
1: if I'm running 10 minutes late. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's why we're in recovery one day at a time, right? Because slowly we're going to deal with the next right thing and, and react less and less over time. But yeah, yeah, I'm right there with you. I totally get it. Well,
0: one of the things I know that you work on with people is how to communicate effectively and become a better listener. So will you mm-hmm. tell me about that? I mean, I know you mentioned less about what they're doing, like telling them that because that can build blame and defensiveness and everything else and, mm-hmm. and you know, talking about how it makes you feel. but you know, yeah. Tell me about the best practices for communicating effectively.
1: So definitely coming from a place of I, it doesn't mean you have to say, I feel every five minutes because people aren't going to do that, but it's more about, Hey, let me share my concern with you. This is what I don't feel comfortable with because then I'm sharing it from a place of opinion and subjective fact versus this is what you're doing wrong. This is what's not okay. Right. Because that's more of a right wrong. And that's where we get off track really, really fast. The other thing is timing. You know, if I approach a conversation and the other person isn't ready or I'm already a five on the scale, it's not going to go well. So if you can really be mindful of, okay, I know talking about the money is going to be a difficult deal. Maybe we need to plan it. Maybe we need to both be ready. Because if we don't, then it's going to end up exploding really, really quickly. And, you know, the other part is with healthy communication, we have to be really mindful of any assumptions we're making. Mm -hmm. And that's where the defensiveness comes in is I might be in conversation with someone and think they just think I'm stupid, but they never actually said that. But if that's what I heard growing up, I am going to more likely hear somebody in that same vein, because I'm used to that type of criticism. So I might have to say, Hey, did you mean to say that I was stupid? And then they'll say, No, I didn't at all. That's not what I mean at all. But that's going to help me check out what my negative assumption is versus assume that I'm right and then run with it. And it destroys the communication because I'm really super defensive at that point. Yeah, for sure. And I know
0: that, at least with me, It depends on what I think of myself, whether it's something I'm insecure about for whatever reason, because, you know, people will say something to me and I'm just like, I shrug. I'm like, yeah, that's clearly untrue. I don't believe that about myself at all. And therefore it's, you know, just flies over my head. I'm just, it's just, it barely registers. But if I feel like it's something that, that I have internal fears about, that's where it sort of wounds me more.
1: Oh, yeah. And, you know, communication and anger management is never going to be perfect, right? That's not the goal. But the goal is to get better and to start making sure that your communication is clean. And Mm. the other thing I do, honestly, I used to do this a lot. I don't have to do it so much anymore. But before a difficult conversation, I would literally write out a little script, like two or three sentences. What do I really need to say? Because what happens a lot in in poor communication is we do it off the cuff and then we go on and on and on. And the more we go on and on and on, the more we can blame the other person versus tightening that up and going, okay, what is my concern? What do I want out of this conversation? Because yeah. if I go in with a specific plan, I'm going to be tight. I'm going to be clean. And I'm going to be like, this is what my concern is. And can we talk about this? And they'll be like, yeah, versus well, I'm really upset. And I can't believe you did this. And then all of a sudden, I'm talking about what happened five years ago. Yeah, right. And yeah. I'm lost. So yeah. I think having a plan, literally two or three sentences, because if you get beyond that, then you're really, you're kind of loosening it up. And it may get you may get lost in it.
0: Yeah. And it definitely sounds like that type of expression, most of the time, you're either establishing a boundary that you need, or expressing a need, right? Yeah. Like in terms yeah. of like, I'm so pissed that you're going out with your friends and you're not doing XYZ a lot of times it's like, we don't spend enough time together and I don't feel valued, right? That's very different.
1: Yeah, that is really different. And that's where writing beforehand can be really helpful because it, it can get to what your core need is. So, yeah. yeah.
0: And I can imagine talking to a therapist or talking to someone who has experience in this can really help you sort through it because on your own it's like okay you're pissed about this why and what do you think that right. means what yeah you know like the meaning you said you're assigning to the behavior because a person might just be like dude, I got invited to thing, this thing, and it sounds really fun. And to <laughs> right. you, it's like, you disrespect me. I'm in charge of the yeah. kids. I have no fun. You don't do it. You know, you don't plan anything for me. Like it's right. so loaded.
1: Yeah. yeah. Well, that's why even though anger work is simple and easy to learn, you typically need somebody to walk you through it. Yeah. And I
0: know that you do that. So can you tell us a little bit about what, how you work with people? I
1: know you have a workshop coming up, I believe. I do. So I do uh, one-on-one anger counseling, but I can only do that with people who live in California as a therapist. You're limited to who you can work with. But that's why I created my Calming Your Anger Zoom class. I did it during COVID and boy, was it popular. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. And anybody can attend. It's four weeks and it's very... Tool heavy, because you are going to get in, get the tools, understand your anger, be able to name it and be able to have several different uh, strategies to contain it early. And, you know, know when you can keep talking to your partner and know when you have to go. Because I think having that group support, what every group tells me in the feedback is that they feel so much better knowing that they weren't alone. Mm. And it was so helpful to hear other people's story because they felt like they were the only one. And, you know, it's like 12 step. It's like, that's your tribe. That's who you're going to, if you feel like you're the only one on the planet, you're going to feel embarrassed and ashamed. But if you're with people who are struggling in the same way, it normalizes it and it takes the judgment out of it. So my next one is um, March 31st. Okay, and so is that
0: multiple weeks? Is it a group mm-hmm. program? You know, is it live? How does that work? It is.
1: It's a live four week class on Thursdays from five to six thirty Pacific Standard Time. Uh, I send an electronic e workbook before each class so that people, if they want to, to do some writing because some people like homework, some people don't. So I uh, a lot for both. And uh, yeah, it's just, it's part lecture, but we definitely have room for people to share and talk and ask questions, because that's really an important part of the process. Yeah, yeah. And I think that,
0: you know, realizing that you're not alone is huge, realizing that other people feel the same way. That, yep. that you do, that you're not a bad human being. I mean, I don't do 12 step, but I've found that mm-hmm. in online groups and talking mm-hmm. to other people, you know, listening to podcasts when I was yeah. um, trying to stop drinking, I would, I would walk and listen to the bubble hour, just hearing other women yeah. who feel like they, their story is my story. and, yes. and, the tools they've used to get out of it. So, Mm -hmm. I mean, I think some of the big takeaways that I've heard from you is, you know, pretending that everything is fine is not a great solution, like stuffing Mm -hmm. it down because everyone feels angry at times. And usually it is for a reason, like it's a call to identify what it is and to take Mm -hmm. better care of yourself. Absolutely, well said. Yeah, I think that's really helpful because and also what I what I took away from this is the different ways of calling it because I also would be like, I'm not an angry person. I absolutely am not. And yet I'm feeling all this anxiety or overwhelm Mm -hmm. or, you know, Mm -hmm. and that's just, I believe how I've manifested it in a way that's more acceptable to me to be like, Oh no, I'm a nice person. I'm internalizing all of it and like taking it on my shoulders because I feel like it would be bad to be angry. right?
1: You know? Right. Exactly. And those beliefs start in childhood and and they need to gently be confronted. (laughs) Yeah. No, but that helps because I think
0: people will be like, Oh, anger that doesn't apply to me. That's right. Especially women. Mm -hmm. Yeah because we've been conditioned, right, right, to, right, to do that, and also conditioned that there will be negative consequences. If we are angry, we'll lose yeah. our friends, we'll re- lose approval, where, you know, it's unacceptable, all that kind right. of stuff. It's unattractive, right? Mm, you know, right. like, that's, that's a big one, too. So I hope that if you're listening to this, and some of, you know, some of this resonated with you, you'll take the next step to kind of look at what tools you can use. And the reason I say that is, because for each one of us, there is, you know, to some extent, a reason that we drink a reason that it works for us. Mm -hmm. And it can be resentments or blame or anger or unexpressed boundaries, you know, or anxiety, all the things. And I mean, I always tell people in the first two weeks, when you stop drinking, you're, you know, you feel like you're walking around without your outer layer of skin, and you actually are, because you, you know, you suddenly are right. more exposed without drinking and, and actually kind of hangovers. It puts this sort of film around you, mm-hmm. but it is normal to feel rage in mm-hmm. those first mm-hmm. couple of weeks. Like just, Absolutely. you just, you're so exposed and raw. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, you kind of need to take more time for yourself. You need to sort of build a bubble um, to give yourself like that physical space. Um, mm-hmm. Even everything f- sounds too loud. Everything's going too fast, you know? Right. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I really appreciate it.
1: Oh, thank you. It was wonderful talking to you. And we will put all of Michelle's links and
0: information and information on her zoom class, all of that kind of stuff in the show notes for this episode. So you can find it and get in touch. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Hello Someday podcast. If you're interested in learning more about me, the work I do, and access free resources and guides to help you build a life you love without alcohol, please visit com. And I would be so grateful if you would take a few minutes to rate and review this podcast so that more women can find it and join the conversation about drinking less and living more.
1: Addiction impacts all of us. Addiction's consequences run through all of us. From ourselves to our loved ones and through our communities, addiction creates so much loss and grief. My name is Dwayne Osterlin and I'm the host of the Addicted Mind podcast, a show featuring personal stories, expert guests, and
0: vital information about addiction and addiction recovery. We'll talk with leading treatment providers to
1: discuss the latest research and treatment options for this devastating disease and advocate for mental health awareness. We discuss topics like the importance of creating a community of support to helping loved ones to some of the latest research on psychedelic medicines. The Addicted Mind podcast has been about creating hope